Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is my good friend, Ray Edwards. Now, if you don't know Ray, Ray is a communications strategist, copywriter, best-selling author, speaker, and host of one of the top iTunes business podcasts. He's worked with Fortune 500 companies and with some of the most powerful voices in leadership and business. His clients include New York Times bestselling authors, Tony Robbins, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, and many, many more. And he's also been featured on Forbes.com, SocialMediaExaminer.com, and Entrepreneur.com. And now Ray, Ray's a friend of mine and just all around good person. Uh, he, I love this and I love what we're about to talk about because he kind of comes at it from both angles, from a content creation angle, but then also from a writing words that sell angle, which is very important and, and obviously very rare for someone to have both of those skills. So I'm super excited to dive into all of that stuff in this interview. Ray, welcome. So great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate you inviting me and I'm excited about this too. So let, let take us back for a little bit to kind of how you got into writing and especially why you decided to write your first book. What was the purpose behind that? Well, I got into writing uh, just because it's something that I enjoyed doing. I, I wrote since the time I can remember how to write. I was writing stories in my spiral bound notebook when I was in elementary school. And uh, one day it occurred to me, I could actually make a living doing this. And at that time I was in the radio industry and I, I realized I had been making a living writing. I've been writing radio commercials and scripts and helping put together promotions and proposals. And I realized, oh, you know what they're really paying me for is to write. And I had always dreamed of being a quote writer and making my living writing, uh, you know, like books, like what we all think of when we think of that man is a writer. He lives in uh, a house by the ocean in Vermont. And uh, is, I don't know, is that even geographically possible? Um, anyway, he, <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. And he has a typewriter and he gets paid millions of dollars to write brilliant things. That's kind of the image, I, the romantic image I had. Uh, but I had been selling things and I'd been in an entrepreneurial family. And I realized that the typical writer was a starving artist kind of person. And I was interested in the artist part, but not the starving part. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I realized, well, I can write and I can sell and I can do both things at the same time. And so thus was born my business as a copywriter for hire. I was the guy that artists hired when they needed to sell their stuff. They didn't want to sell it because they felt like the two things were separate worlds. And I was the guy who came in and said, oh, I can, I can totally sell your stuff for you. And they paid me a lot of money for that. And I wrote my book. Uh, first reason was I got tired of answering the same questions over and over again. So I thought if I write them down and I put them in a book, then I can hand them the answers and they can pay me for them. Winner. So how long were you a copywriter before you wrote your first book? Um, let's see. That would have been um, just probably about four years. Uh, and it was, it was a big leap for me, Chandler, because um, 
the my mentors at the time i've i've always had paid mentors uh people who advise me consult coach me and they were telling me this is what you need to do and i was like yeah but i've only been doing this in this way like direct response online copywriting for a few years and there's guys who've been doing it for decades and why would anybody want to hear from me and this was my first experience with that dance of you know well why would anybody there's other people why does anybody want to hear from me about diet about exercise about making money about real estate about telling stories well it's because we're always it's the same reason why there's always a new uh, album coming out from your favorite group need to breathe um, <laughs> uh, why there's always a new book coming out by stephen king uh, why you're always looking for the next novel or the next diet book or the next how to make money book because we're all always looking for a fresh new voice so we've all got a voice that somebody wants to hear i like to say it this way chandler uh, there's, there's, there's a group of people that will only respond to your voice when it comes to your message. And if you don't put your message out there, they may never get the message. So my mentors taught me that I wrote the book on copywriting and it started up a whole new dimension of my career, my business. It made so many things possible. I mean, that first book I've only made, um, probably total. I've made $18,000 directly off the book. But um, indirectly, because of the book, I've made probably a million dollars. And then that led to other things that are multi-million dollars. So it's hard to say. I could easily tell you and, and be telling the truth, I've made millions of dollars off that one book. Now, it's indirect, wow. and one thing led to another. But that's kind of how the story unfolded for me. So talk about kind of what's your process as a copywriter, and then how was that different from from writing copy you know writing for other people as you said to sell their stuff to then packaging your writing into a book you know um i feel kind of dumb answering this question because uh, i have a process for writing copy i have frameworks i have an outline i have a, a very specific process that i follow um and it's it's very organized i do lots of reading i do lots of study i take lots of notes i write down lots of little bits and pieces of information i want to convey and then i just put it all into the outline that I basically have and I stitch it all together with sentences and paragraphs and make it all flow from beginning to end. I know where I need to start, the points I need to get across, the chain of logic I need to use to persuade people, and then how I reach a conclusion and ask them to make a decision to buy or to believe or uh, to do something. For some reason, I thought writing a book would be different. So I put on my literary hat and it suddenly writing became very hard until one day i had the epiphany now wait a minute this is just one dang big long sales letter really because even though i'm not selling a product i'm selling a set of ideas and practices and if i take the same approach writing this book that i took writing a sales letter it should be easy and it was it just flowed because you know in copywriting one of the things we have to work with people on when they're learning how to write copy is to stop writing like their english teacher taught them how to write and start writing the way they talk conversationally. And people relate to that kind of writing. That's why uh, a James Patterson novel is probably not your, your English composition professor's favorite piece of writing because it's very colloquial and there's lots of sentence fragments and there's a paragraph that consists of two sentences followed by a paragraph that consists of one sentence and a chapter is two pages long and it breaks all the rules. And yet, out of all the novelists in the world, uh, the the person who's being read the most right now as we speak 
the most number of books that are open with people reading them at this moment in the world is James Patterson, who breaks all those rules in his writing. And so when I realized it could be conversational, it could just flow, uh, then the process became a lot easier for me. And I, I just, you know, I start with what's the main idea of what I want to get across? What's the main conclusion I want people to reach? I want them to buy something, to believe something, to do something, uh, to feel empowered to do something. And then I map out, well, how do I get there? What's the path? And then I just start writing. And what does that path usually look like? Or what, can you take us a little bit through like your copy framework and how that can switch over to, to writing the book? Yeah, yeah, uh, perfectly. Uh, so I have this framework called the pastor framework for writing copy. And I chose that word not because I want you to become a preacher. I chose it because it originally meant to be a shepherd. And you think about it, well, what does the shepherd do? The shepherd takes care of the sheep, cares for the flock, protects them, makes sure they're fed, that they're watered, that they're protected from the elements, that they're protected from predators, and is basically in charge of caring for the sheep. And, you know, in our, in our own culture, we've heard the story that the, the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. And so if we're selling and we're using a pastor framework, and I'm, I'm, I'm persuading you to be a shepherd with your customers, then when you come from that mindset, it's impossible for you to be pushy or salesy or sleazy because a shepherd is none of those things. Shepherd has your best interest at heart, and you're going to have the best interest of your customers at heart, and you're only going to want them to make a decision that's in their best interest, whether it's to buy from you or not. And that takes all the ickiness and grossness out of selling. And so I also chose that word because it helped me build an acronym, which is the outline of the copy. It's P-A-S-T-O-R. P stands for person, problem, and pain. You need to know the person to whom you're writing. What's their world like? What's the problem they experience that you're going to help them solve? And every piece of writing solves a problem, even a novel. Even a children's novel solves a problem. In that case, it's probably boredom. Uh, but it's still a problem. And what's the pain that the person is experiencing that you're going to help them relieve? You need to understand those things and write about those things. And it can be as simple as saying, look, you and I are probably a lot alike. We're both writers. We both have uh, the challenge of putting words on paper and getting an entire book written. And that's kind of painful. It, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. We have to set aside time. We have to get a certain number of words out every day. So what am I doing? I'm speaking to the person. I'm talking about the problem. And I'm beginning to describe the pain. You sit down at the typewriter or the typewriter, listen to me, at the computer, at the keyboard, and uh, you're writing, uh, maybe you're writing a sales letter to sell your product or service, and the page is blank. This is pain. And then the A stands for amplify. First, you amplify the pain. So this is horrible because what's going to happen if you don't solve this problem? Well, you're not going to get the words written to sell your product or service, and you're not going to make any money, and you're going to go broke, and everybody's going to think you're a failure, and they're finally going to know the real truth that you just don't have what it takes. That's, I mean, that's amplifying the pain, the, the, the consequences of what happens if I don't solve this problem. And A also stands for aspiration. People will say to me, well, Ray, that amplify thing sounds like you're selling with fear, and I don't feel comfortable with that. And I, I understand the sentiment behind that, but I'm not a believer in playing up the fear card so much that we're scaring people into buying, but I am an advocate of being real with people and just, you know, telling it like it is. Like if you're writing to people about um, saving for their retirement, you need to tell them that the truth is 95% of people when they reach age 65 are either dead or dead broke. 
If they're still alive, they probably still have to work to pay their bills or they're eating dog food. Now, is that using a scare tactic? No. Is it telling them a scary reality? Yes. So as soon as you make that reality, as you amplify it, you make it real for them. You make them realize, hey, I'm going to be 70 years old and me standing at the door at Walmart saying, hi, welcome to Walmart. Not the future I had planned for myself. Um, then we need to turn to their aspiration. Well, what's, what is it you really want? What you really want is to be able to decide which tropical island you're going to spend the winter on when you're 70. That's what you really want. So you speak to their aspiration. And then we move to the S, which is the story, the struggle, the solution, and the system. So you tell the story of how you have struggled with this same problem that we're addressing in this sales piece. The struggle that you had of, you get into detail about how tough it was, about why it was tough, about what was tough about it. Then how you figured out the solution and how you actually turned the solution into a system. And the system might be, um, depending on what you're selling, it could be a, a teaching, a way of doing a certain task, like how to write copy that sells or how to self-publish your book. Or it could be how to be in better shape, how to eat more healthily, about how to have better relationships, about how to save for retirement. It could be about anything at all that you have expertise in that you're trying to share with the world. And you put it into a system that works for other people too, so that it's not just about you, it's about helping other people. And then that comes to the T of pastor, which is for testimony and transformation. So you have other people's stories that you're able to share in your book or in your sales letter. You have other people's stories about how they used your solution, your system to achieve the same outcome that you achieved. And within those testimonies, there is each one con contains a story of transformation about how I went from a 98 pound weakling who's getting sand kicked in his face on the beach to Charles Atlas, Mr. Universe, or whatever those old ads were. You know, there's the new variation uh, became body for life. And, and now there's P90X and there's the insanity workout. And it's, it's really all the same story, right? I went from weak and fat and out of shape to muscular and fit and look out, this guy's got the juice. So stay away from him. Um, so it's a transformation. And then the O stands for the offer. And this is where you simply, this is like, this is what I have to sell you. And this is how much it costs. And um, in the offer, you need to spend about 20% of your time talking about the deliverables. So what I'm selling you is a book or what I'm selling you is a set of DVDs or it's a seminar or a workshop or a home study course or online study course. And 80% of your time in speaking about the offer is about the transformation that each part of it brings. Because nobody woke up this morning saying, um, gosh, what I hope today is that I'll be able to watch an infomercial where the P90X people will sell me their wall chart and their chin-up bar and <laughs> their DVDs because I really need all those things. That's, that's not what we were thinking. But we start watching and we realize, oh, those, those guys look like me now. They look like that 90 days ago. And then 90 days later, they look like that. They're all chiseled and muscular and lean. And the ladies look at them when they walk by. <laughs> and they don't laugh. Or they don't go, ew. So I want to be like that guy. So I want that transformation. So that, that's the offer. The offer is not the stuff. The offer is the magic that happens. And then the R of pastor stands for request a response. Ask for the sale. And uh, as we all know, ask and ye shall receive, at least a certain percentage of the time. Um, so that's what the pastor framework stands for. And it works not only for writing sales copy, but it, it'll work. If you think about it, you're always selling something. You're selling an idea. You're selling 
belief in a storyline, if you're writing fiction, you're selling a product, you're selling people on the fact that they should do something or they can do something. So you're always requesting a response. You're always making an offer. And you can use this framework to write a blog post, a chapter in a book, the entire outline of a book, uh, any kind of writing. This is, this is just my way of describing what I think of as the universal framework for writing persuasively. And how, how would you modify this for book form? Is that kind of like the overarching structure that then you break down chapter by chapter? Or what does that kind of look like? If you can uh, picture um, an arc, so that's the, o- the overarching arc of the book. And then within, like for a nonfiction book, I would think of it as probably as being in three parts, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Um, duh. But I mean, sometimes we need to be reminded of these basic things. Uh, and so like each of those three parts maybe has three parts and those are chapters and each chapter reflects the larger structure. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like fractals. You know how you look at pictures of trees from space, you look at the coastline and it looks sort of has a certain shape and, and texture to it. And you zoom into the forest and it has that same shape and texture and you zoom into the molecules. They have that same t- shape and texture. That's fractal. It's the same way out zoomed out as it is way zoomed in. So it's the same thing with writing a book. It's the same overarching structure, which is the same structure for each section of the book, which is the same structure for each chapter of the book. So each chapter, if you think of it, writing it, I mean, look at the writing of Tim Ferriss. One of the genius things that he does, if you look at something like uh, the four hour chef or the four hour body, or even the four hour work week, every chapter stands on its own. If you look at them, you could read just that chapter and not feel like you were missing something. And that's because he's got that same underlying structure. He, he has no idea who I am or what my system is, as far as I know, unless he knows everything, which sometimes I think he does. <laughs> um, but, but he uses that same universal structure. He talks about who the person is he's writing to, what their problem is, what the pain is they're feeling, what will happen if they don't solve the problem, um, what they're aspiring to, what's the story, what was his struggle in solving it, what system did he come up with. Here's a transformation that happened for people on the slow-carb diet. Uh, so my offer is if you'll try this diet, you'll lose a lot of weight quickly. You won't be hungry. You'll you get to eat great food. And so his call to action is try the diet and, and here's how you do it. And let me know what you think. So, and then that's part of an, a bigger overarching story of the entire book, the four hour body, how you optimize your health and become superhuman and do all the other things that the title promises that you can do of that book. Mm-hmm. Really the same structure, either small or large chapter section, entire book. Got it. And, and what did it take for you to realize you said, as you were part of the way into your book that, duh, I should, just, I should just do it this way? And then how did that change how you approached your writing? Well, you know, it's, I, I have what I call a BFO, the blinding flash of the obvious. Um, I, for some reason, I thought that writing a book had to be different. I felt like you have to sit down and you have to start with a blank page and you type chapter one was a dark and stormy night. And then you just write from there until you get to chapter 12 and you've got 200 pages and you're done. And of course I knew that you should outline and you should jot down what each chapter was about, but I just didn't, I don't have a better explanation and I just didn't connect the dots and realize this framework that I developed for writing sales copy is really underneath every structured piece of writing that attempts to persuade people either to do something, believe something, uh, be empowered. We're always persuading people either that they should do something 
or that they can do something. Even if you think you're just conveying information, like you might say, well, my book is not either one of those things. It's about how to buy real estate without a lot of cash. Oh, so in other words, it's you're saying that you can buy real estate without having a lot of cash. So you're, you're writing a book on empowering people that they can do something. Well, no, it's more about the techniques that you use to actually do it. Oh, so you're, you're really telling them that they should do it because the techniques work. So it's always a, an act of persuasion. When I realized that, and I started looking at other books, like um, Tim Ferriss's books uh, come to mind, Malcolm Gladwell's books come to mind. And I don't, you know, I'm not saying that, hey, look, I'm, I'm just as great as Malcolm Gladwell. I don't compare myself to others, but I do notice similarities and patterns. And when I made, when I connected those dots, I, it suddenly made it easy because I realized, oh, so here's the P-A-S-T-O-R of this book, the, the broad outline. Here's the P-A-S-T-O-R of each section. And I just need to make the same outline for each chapter. And it suddenly made it easy to write because it was more like filling in the blanks in an outline than it was coming up with something creative with every page. You still have to be creative. You still have to write. Uh, there's, there's no getting around that. If you want to write, you have to have written. Love it. Love it. Those are great tips, Ray. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. Now, you obviously, you obviously write a lot, um, writing copy, whether it's writing a book, producing a ton of content on your blog. Uh, so, I mean, you're pretty much a content machine. So my question is, how do you stay fresh? And then how do you keep the content coming at such an aggressive pace? Well, um, I think that, you know, Stephen King wrote in the, his book on writing, he said, there's two things you have to do if you want to be a writer. One is you have to read a lot. And the second thing is you have to write a lot. And so I took that to heart and I, I'm always putting um, material in the blender, so to speak. I'm, I'm reading all kinds of things, magazines, newspapers, the Wall Street Journal, The Economist, um, a Simple Magazine, Oprah Magazine. I've got this app on my iPad called uh, Texture. I don't know if you've heard of it. It used to be called Next Issue. You get, you pay like $16 a month and you get like 50 magazine subscriptions. You get the digital version of them. So it's got women's magazines, men's magazines, not the naughty kind, but the, the, the good kind, like outdoor, GQ, and things like that. And um, uh, popular science and like politics and finance, like fortune and entrepreneur on there. So like every magazine you could think of for the price of what you'd pay for two at the bookstore, you get the, the new issues every month. So I read many of those. I read lots of books. I read lots of blogs. I listen to lots of podcasts. And the, the real magic secret sauce for me is Evernote. I just think up titles. Like I think that would make a good title. Like we were at a mastermind meeting a few days ago and it was, it's a mastermind that people pay me to be in. And it's the funny thing. I think you do the same kind of thing. And, I learn as much from them as they learn from me, if not more, because I'm like, to me, there's easier ways to make money than the paid mastermind. 
So I, I didn't realize that when I first started it. At first, I was like, oh, this, this would be a lot of money I can make. And then I realized it's a lot of work to run a paid mastermind. But I'm always soaking up the ideas. And um, one thing that was discussed was pop-ups on your website. And through discussion, I realized, you know what? Even though they're effective, I'm not going to use pop-ups anymore because of the discussion we had, which was we started talking about how does it make you feel when you see a pop-up. And I'm not judging anybody who uses pop-ups until two days ago. I used them too. So I'm not making you bad or wrong. I just made a decision for my blog for the reasons that I will describe in my blog post. I just wrote a title down in my Evernote file that I keep titles in that said, why I ditched pop-ups on my blog. So that'll become a blog post. And I've got a file that's got a ton of titles like that in there. I don't have the content dreamed up. I just know the central idea of the post and it'll turn into a post or a chapter in a book or maybe a white paper or a manifesto. But it's for me, it's just about the title. If I can get the catchy title, the rest of it will come. Mm, so those are titles that that you'll use for, for blog posts. They could be chapters in a book. They could be any of those things. And it seems like you start with those titles. You also read a lot. Um, now, are you, a, are you a book guy or are you more of a bite-sized content guy? I, I'm both. Um, I love books. I, I have uh, at least two books going at all times because I have a morning routine where I do a lot of reading and writing. So um, one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning after I've got my coffee and I've had my healthy shake um, is I sit down and I read the Bible. I have a, a reading plan for reading the Bible. And then I read uh, a spiritual book and then I read a nonfiction book, not the entire book, but a section of each of those kinds of books. And then I, I journal and I write about what I learned from what I read. Because I think too often we read things and we don't, we don't glean anything from it. It goes in and out and we forget about it. And so I'm every day I'm trying to figure out one thing that I learned from what I read today. And I keep track of that in uh, day one. My, that's what I do my journaling in. And if it's good enough, if I have a real powerful insight, like, oh, I want to write about that. Then I'll grab that and pop it into my Evernote file with all my titles in it. And there goes another title. So when it comes time to sit down and write a blog post, when I hit my writing time every day and I have a time I set aside every day to write, it's not a huge amount of time. I wish I had four hours a day to write but I don't. I have about an hour. So I get all my writing done in about an hour a day. And I just go to my Evernote file and I scroll through the titles and I find the one that jumps out at me that makes me feel like, oh, I, I know exactly what I want to say about that. And I start writing. And that's, that's how I do it. It's, it's really not a big secret. The secret is now out. <laughs> so you do that and you do that daily for an hour a day. Is there, do you ever go longer than that? Are there, do you batch stuff? Is it just kind of consistently day by day or how does, how does your process for that work? Sometimes I go longer. If I'm writing a long sales letter or like the script for a sales video, um, th there's a, there's a volume of writing you have to do in a certain amount of time. And so then I have to be disciplined and set aside and say, okay, I, I need four hours a day for three days to get this project done. Cause I know about how long it's going to take me. So I'll block that time out and I have a timer and every 30 minutes I get up and I move around, drink some water, break my focus. Then I get back and I focus in for another 30 minutes. It's a typical thing that lots of people do, but it works. That's why lots of people do it. Um, and then sometimes I have a lot of stuff planned for the day and I just get on a roll. I get writing and I, I feel like, oh, I'm in the zone. So I'll send a message to my assistant and say, cancel everything today. I'm writing. And then I just focus in. If, if I hit that, you know, I don't wait for inspiration to hit. I find that usually inspiration hits more frequently if I more frequently sit down at the keyboard and ask it to hit. 
But sometimes, Chandler, you know this, sometimes it's just like it's coming through you and you're like, oh, I cannot interrupt this. I got to get this while it's happening. And sometimes that's coming so fast and furious that I will, um, yes, I worked a movie title in, I, I will dictate uh, what I'm writing instead of typing it. I'm not the world's fastest typist and I'm certainly not the world's best typist as anybody who's ever proofread my writing knows. Uh, so my, I'm at my best actually when I'm dictating and you know, I can dictate about 125 to 150 words a minute. And if you do the math, that's a lot of pages in an hour. So I can get a lot of writing done that way. And I just send it off to good old rev.com, uh, RomeoEchoVictor.com, and they type it up for me. And uh, then I have somebody edit it for me because I don't want to do that. I don't like detail work. But, you know, you can do all these things manually if you don't have the budget to do it. You can use um, Dragon Dictate if you don't want to pay every time. But that's the way I do it with rev.com if I'm on a roll and I need to go fast. How often do you hit that role? And then how often uh, do you dictate rather than type? Um, it happens at least once a week. Uh, and I, I don't know if that sounds like a lot for some people or it sounds like not much for some people, but it, sometimes there are many days where I just want to have my fingers on the keyboard. I just, there's sometimes that just feels like that's the way it needs to come out. And I know that sounds like Oh, you're, you're so like an artist. You have the way it has to come out. It's not that. It's just the mood that I'm in. You know, it's like sometimes you want to watch the McNeil Lear News Hour, and sometimes you want to watch Dancing with the Stars. Why? Who knows? Um, it just has to happen that way. But uh, when I have a big project, like I'm working on a book, I know that the key thing is, or sales letter, the, the key thing is to get the first draft out. That's the, and you teach this, the, the biggest challenge is getting that first draft done because it's easy to edit something. It's really difficult to edit nothing. So, so you need to have something first. So I, I typically when I'm either, either I hit on an inspiration and I just get going or more typically, this is if I'm transparent about it. Now that I think through this, when I, when I get on those big roles of dictating, I'm usually working on a book or a big sales letter or script and that's when I make a detailed outline ahead of time. I, I, I map out well, what are the points I need to make? What's the logical structure that needs to happen? I mean, the more of that you can do ahead of time, the more trouble you save yourself later on, as you know. And then I will dictate. And I know exactly what I'm going to say, maybe not word for word, but I know in this section I need to talk about this principle or idea. In the next section, I need to connect it to the next idea. And so I just keep going and I just keep talking. And if I get stuck for something to say, the people who who transcribed my dictation must have a ball because I'll just say, and now I don't know what I'm going to talk about next. So you dear transcriptionist can take a break and go get some coffee or you can type every word I'm saying. It's up to you because I'll get back to it in just a minute. Oh, I know. I know. Here's the next thing I want to say. <clears throat> and then I'll just go right into it. And I don't edit it. I just send it to them just like it is. And it's always funny to see their responses. Sometimes they just type it up and they make no comment. Sometimes they put a comment in like, this was funny. I can't believe you did this. Um, but it's just, uh, it's just fun. And so I do believe, frankly, that we're in an age where it's so easy to dictate and get that turned into type. I don't know why anybody would write a long form book any other way, frankly. Hmm. Love it. And, and I know that this has been, that particular method has been helpful for a lot of people, myself included, because especially if you're one of those that talks easier than you write, Right. It's like, okay, cool. I can just talk much faster, much easier and the stuff's going to flow better. So love that. That's a great tip. Now talk to us, uh, 
talk to us a little bit about your your rapid writing method and kind of what that looks like and and how that applies to to writing a book. So the rapid writing method uh, it really is based on that dictation model, and uh, that's that is the rapid writing method is to dictate because you can speak faster than you can write. I don't care how fast a typist you are, unless you have a speech impediment, um, you can definitely talk faster than you can type. And if you have an outline, you can roll through your first draft really fast. So my, my basic recommendation is to make an outline, know what you're going to be writing about, have your central idea figured out, uh, like use the pastor framework, or we have some worksheets in Rapid Writing Method. It's a course that we teach. Uh, we have worksheets people can go through to decide on what their topic is going to be if they don't know and what they're going to answer about that topic. And one simple formula that works if you just want to get a book cranked out and you, you want to make that first impact on the marketplace to be a published author. Uh, and especially if you have a, an expertise in a certain area, just think about, okay, so I'm an expert in um, chainsaw sculpture making, you know, carving bears and, and salmon, uh, giant salmon out of tree trunks. Um, so what are the top 10 questions that people have about chainsaw carving? Well, I just write down what those top 10 questions are, the ones that come up the most often. I know because I get them all the time. And then I write an intro to my book and I say, this is what my book is going to be about. And I make a little jot down a little outline and I write down the top 10 questions. And those 10 questions are the 10 chapters of the book. And so in this method, there's 12 chapters to every book. There's the intro chapter that I just talked about. This is what the book is about, what you're going to get from reading it. Then there's the top 10 questions. That's 10 chapters. And then there's a wrap-up chapter. That's, what do you do now? And if you think about it, um, the first chapter, what, what this book is about, who's it for, what problem does it solve, what pain does it relieve, that's the pastor framework. And then the 10 steps in the middle are the rest of the framework right up until you get to the call to action, which is at the end, request a response. That's chapter 12, which is now what do you do? What comes next? And so you outline all that using the pastor framework in, in my world. I mean, there's different ways to do this. But this is how I recommend people do it. It's how I teach people to do it. And then after you've outlined all that, you just dictate it. I encourage people to dictate it as fast as they possibly can. Stumbles, ums, ahs, curse words when they get angry and say the wrong thing. I mean, basically, I, I, it's part of my code not to curse, but, you know, you hit your thumb with a hammer, things happen. And um, you get it dictated, you get it sent off, and you get, that, you get that transcript back, and you realize, wow, I've got 100 pages that I wrote in a day. Uh, it's a mess. It's a hot mess, but it's been written in a day. And then you have a choice. I personally like to go over it the first time myself and kind of take out the big, obvious, ugly chunks that I don't like and rearrange things a little bit. But I don't do too much of that because once I've cleaned up most of that, I send it off to an editor, and they, they make it all grammatically correct. And then I have to go back and fix the things they made too correct, and then the book is done. So that's a really nutshell version of the rapid writing method. But, I mean, I've, I've written um, – when, when I first discovered that it was possible to do this, I wrote two books in a weekend. Wow. So, and I mean, you know, I mean, you, you've, you do similar things and you've mastered similar techniques and you have your own systems that you use and people are shocked when they hear that. When I first heard somebody say that you could do that kind of thing, it made me angry. I was at a seminar. Um, I'll just, it's no reflection, no bad reflection on the guy. I'll just tell you, it was James Malinchek. Do you know James? Yes. And I, and I've heard this exact thing you're talking about. And he's, he stands up and he says, I've, I've written, you know, 5,000 books and I don't write books. I create books. I have my talks transcribed and they 
they type them up and I print them into a book and it's a book. I created the book. I didn't write it. And it made me angry. I was sitting in the back of the room and I was all Mr. Attitude. I was like, that's just crappy books. The world does not need more crappy books. And something inside me spoke up and said, well, Ray, you're acting like a spoiled brat and a snob. And aren't you the guy who always says you should be an eternal student? And now you've decided you know everything. And I was very humbled by that internal voice. I realized, okay, uh, time for me to, to change my attitude. And so I put on the, the, the rubber band thing he had us all wear and snap when our, when our attitude was bad and put it up in the air. And I played all the silly reindeer games and it was the best conference I'd been to in a long time. And I went back to my hotel room that night and I was like, well, what have I written that I could turn into a book? And I realized I had a whole blog full of material and I started looking through it and I realized, wow, I could pull together these 12 posts and they would make a book. So I pulled together the two manuscripts, the rough first draft of two manuscripts that night. So it actually was in one night. The next morning I went into the seminar room and I, I had a totally different attitude now. I was like, I wrote two books last night. Well, I created two books last night. Um, <laughs> so it just, it's a shift in paradigm. It's a shift in, th in seeing what's possible. And if you don't have a blog that's got a bunch of posts on it, don't be discouraged. You got a ton of stuff up here in the treasure chest that is your brain. Things that you know, if you just think through it carefully, you've got plenty of material. You can dictate a book in a weekend for sure. And which, which event, which Malinchek event was that? That was, um, let's see, what does he call it? Really big, big money, money speaker. Yep. Boot camp. Yep. The big money speaker boot camp. Gosh, that's, yep. I went, I, I, you know, what was funny? I thought about that is there was a comment he, he said, he said, where he said, my crappy book's better than the book you ain't got. Yes. Yes. I've quoted that many times. <laughs> my, my crappy book is 100% better than the book you don't have. Like, yep. Ouch. Yep. That'll, that'll get you right there. Awesome. Well, we're in the home stretch here. Just a couple final questions. How, how have your copywriting skills or how have you used your copywriting skills to sell more books? Like how does that carry over to the selling of books? Oh, I mean, dude, it's, it's everything because the copy on the front cover of your book is copy. It, the idea is like a headline. It catches people's attention. The copy on the back of your book needs to get people to, what's the goal? The goal of the front cover is to get them to flip it over and look at the back cover. The goal of the back cover is to get them to open it up and look at the table of contents. And the goal of the table of contents is to sell the freaking book. Um, and that's why, you know, if you read, excuse me, if you read my table of contents, it, they read like headlines because they're designed to make people feel like, oh, well, I got to know the thing that's in chapter seven, so I'm going to buy this book. So that's what I recommend to people. And in fact, I've, I've actually developed a further philosophy on that. I'm now, from now on, every book I publish will have a chapter title in the table of contents plus two or three sentences about what the chapter is about. So it'll be like a chapter title. And in a sales letter, it would be a bullet point about why this chapter is so important. And um, mm -hmm. it's a sales letter for the book. And then also the first chapter, you know, people often read the first chapter so for, for gosh sakes, don't put an introduction in your book. It's a boring, like writing a book is a big project that involves many people. And I just want to thank this long list of names of people you've never heard of. Snooze alarm. <laughs> the, the first chapter in your book needs to sell your freaking book. It needs to say, Have you tried every diet in the world and they all failed? You're still fat and look like a slob and are embarrassed to take off your shirt at the pool. I'm finally the guy who's going to tell you the truth about why you have that problem and how you're going to solve it. And that's what this book is all about. Cause I got sick and tired of all the BS in the marketplace about how to do this 
write. So I decided I would have to write the book myself. It needs to be something visceral like that that grabs people, makes people go, yes, that it's about time somebody told the truth about that. You know, the, the, and you and I know, both know the truth is you need to eat less and move more, but <laughs> that, that's another story for a different time. Um, so then it's, you know, every chapter you're selling, you're selling in the first few sentences, you're selling people on reading the chapter. And in, as you go through the chapter, you're selling them in every paragraph on finishing the chapter. And at the end of the chapter, you're selling them on reading the next chapter. So, you know, two things that I, in my nonfiction books that I've started doing and I will continue to do is I have a checklist at the end of every chapter. Uh, I got this from Chip and Dan Heath, actually. They have, in their books, they have a, a thing at the end of each chapter. It's called This Whole Chapter in a Page. Yeah. Genius. Because I just finished reading Decisive, the first book I've read by them. And I was, it's amazing. Such a great idea. So that's why my book, How to Write Copy That Sells, has a page like that at the end of every chapter. In fact, in my first draft, it was those pages were called this whole chapter in a single page. But then I thought, well, that's a little close, so maybe I won't do that. Um, but uh, I do that, and then I, I also say at the end of each chapter, um, in the next chapter, we'll explore how to do ne the next thing. So I want to thread people through the entire book so they read the entire book. Um, because... I don't want to put one word more in the book than needs to be there. And that's the other thing that I've discovered these days. Um, I, there are great books that are written that are four and 500 pages long. I just finished reading a biography of John Adams, which seemed like it was 12,000 pages long, but it was really, it was good. It was a powerful book, but it was super long. And, and people generally don't have the patience for that anymore. Uh, you know, people want short, quick reads that give them a good, quick, uh, either motivation, uh, inspiration, burst of energy, a quick how-to, a way to have a quick win in a certain area of life. So, you know, my books, my goal is to keep my books at about 110 pages uh, or so. I think that's the number because the, re the re reason for that number is it's the exact number of pages required on Amazon CreateSpace to be able to print something on the spine of the book. That's why I want that book to be that long. Mm. Because if, if you see my book on a shelf, and it's real skinny and it makes a lot of great promises about what you're going to get from it. And then you see somebody else's book on the shelf and it's 350 pages long and it's like tiny little type. Which book are you going to buy? Most people are going to buy the shorter book because they feel like, well, I'll read that. Yeah. When, which one are you going to start reading? A hundred percent the shorter book. And which one are you going to finish reading? A hundred percent the shorter book. Love it. Final question, Ray. What, what will be your parting tip for someone uh, thinking about writing their first book? Stop thinking and start writing. Just, just do whatever it takes to write. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I have two things to share. Um, on my office wall, I would go get it, but it's too long to take the headphones off and go over and get it. You just have to trust me. There's a picture on my office wall. I'm looking at it right now. It's a photograph of E.B. White sitting in his beach house, which was a shed on the beach. It has a wooden table, an ashtray on the wooden table, uh, a garbage can, and a typewriter and a stack of paper and he's typing away and that's all that's in his office. And that picture is to remind me that all you need is you and a message and some way to write it down. You don't need anything else. And the other thing I'll share is um, when I was still in the radio business and I was talking about wanting to be a writer and make my living writing, I, I, I hate to admit this, but I complained about it all the time. I would say to my wife, you know, just one day, I'd, if I just didn't have to work so hard at this radio job, I'd, I'd love to be a writer. And she finally said to me one day, 
I said, you know, I really want to be a writer. I just want to write full time. She said, no, you don't. I was like shocked. I'm like, what? I just told you that I do. How can you tell me that? She said, because if you wanted to, you would do it. You're doing exactly what you want to do most. So either change what you're doing or stop complaining about it. And that's the moment that I decided, okay, she's right. I, I don't like admitting it, but she's right. So I would say to you, do you want to write or do you want to want to write? It's a choice you got to make. Just sit down mm. and start scribbling. <laughs> that's such a great distinction. And, and just a sign that you have an amazing wife that would tell you that and that would shoot you, shoot you straight on that. So that's awesome. Well, Ray, thank you so much for coming on uh, and, and just sharing so much knowledge with us today. Where can people go to find out more about you and what you're up to? The place to go is rayedwards.com. And you can find the podcast. I got a free newsletter, a bunch of free tutorials, information, just gobs of stuff to designed to make you love me. Awesome. RayEdwards.com. Well, Ray, thanks again. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Chandler. It's my honor and privilege. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode all right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that. I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right. All you have to do is go to register to sign up, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step. So how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.